Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a blessing that we may be here again together to worship our trying God. Welcome to all of you who are present here, to all of you who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message strengthen our faith and cause us to trust our Saviour Jesus Christ, that more and more we would live our lives to the praise of the God of our salvation. Consistory has the following announcements, the same as this morning. Sister Tamara Buchholt and Brother Daniel Vanderwall from the Free Reformed Church of Byford have indicated their intentions to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday the 10th of December at 10.30am in the Free Reformed Church of Byford, with Reverend Dirk Poppy officiating. Several families who have been regular visitors in our congregation have requested to formally join the Free Reformed Church of Southern River. Having considered, considered their motives as well as their knowledge of scripture and confessions, consistory with great thankfulness to the Lord resolved to grant these requests. If no lawful objections are brought forward by the 21st of November, we look forward to the following brothers and sisters publicly professing their faith on Sunday the 4th of December in the morning service. Julian and Mary Moon, with Julian also receiving adult baptism, Brad and Megan Stevens, Kyle and Ashley Peters, Dylan and Alyssa Atkinson. Their respective children, Job, Caleb and Jack Moon, Josh Stevens, Bowden and Lila Peters and Harley and Callan Atkinson will also be welcomed as members from that day. And following the profession of faith, we'll also be privileged to witness the baptisms of Caleb and Jack Moon, Bowden and Lila Peters and Harley and Callan Atkinson. And these families are all requested to meet with the elders at 7pm tomorrow evening in the consistory room. And consistory with deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm and this afternoon Brother Dathan Plater will lead the worship service. Before we start the worship service, let's sing together from Psalm 25 verse 2.
Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise for worship. We just sang a song asking God to, to direct us in his way, and so we do so with a confession of our dependence on God at the very outset of our worship. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this afternoon, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now continue our worship and bless our triune God, singing hymn 10. also confess our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith with the words of Hymn 1.
Let's now come before our Heavenly Father in, in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just confessed that I believe in a holy Catholic Christian church. And Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together as church, church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we confess that this is your work. You are the one who sends preachers of the gospel, who call us to repentance and faith. You are the one who gives elders and deacons to shepherd the flock and to display your mercy. Lord, it's through Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the great shepherd of your sheep, that you are gathering your church all over this world, not just here in Southern River, but all over this globe, and that you are preserving that universal church, and that you are defending your church from the attacks of Satan. Father, we thank you that you have made us together a body of believers, each with gifts and unique callings. And Lord, you do this so that we might use them for the building up of, of each other. And so we pray that you would bind us together in love. We pray that as church, we may be a people who, who love each other in such a way that others know that we love you because we love one another. And so, Lord, we pray that where there is error and unfaithfulness in, in this congregation, that you would correct us, that you would encourage us and nurture us through faithful men and women. Lord, we thank you for the communion of saints that we have. And Father, where there is brokenness and strife, may you grant humility and healing. And where there is division, restore unity of peace. Where there is sin and shame, Father, may you enable us to be gracious with one another and to show your, your forgiveness, the forgiveness that comes through the gospel, that your name would not be blasphemed because of us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would equip us by your Holy Spirit. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know our Savior better. We pray that our eyes and our, the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened this afternoon in order that we may know the riches of your glorious grace and, that the great, and the greatness of your power toward us. Lord, you are the God who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or even that we can think. And so we ask all of this. In the name of Jesus Christ, with confidence because of the blood that he covers us. And in his name we pray. Amen. This afternoon, it's my intention to preach God's word to us as it's summarized in uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. And we'll look particularly at Lord's Day 35, which is about how we worship God. And so in preparation for that, we'll read together Leviticus, Leviticus 9 and 10. Or to, to 10 verse 7, I should say. So Leviticus 9, you'll find that on page 103 of, of the church Bible. So previously, God has ordained the priesthood, and Moses and his—I mean Aaron and his sons—had been consecrated. And now here we read of the Lord accepting His offering. Leviticus nine. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel and said to Aaron, "Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord." 
And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. When Moses said to Aaron, then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make an atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they had handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece, and the head, and he had burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. He presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of the peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail of that, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts and he burned the fat pieces on the altar but the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as God as Moses commanded then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings and Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting and when they came out they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the piece off, pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense, incenses on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elizaphan, the sons of Uzael, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their, coat, in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and to Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. 
And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So far from God's word, let us sing now from Psalm 106, verses 1, 8, and 22. And in Psalm 106, we sing about our tendency to worship God according to our own desires. So our, our text for this afternoon comes from Leviticus 9, and then also our confessional reading, which is from Lord's Day 35. So Leviticus 9, we'll read the verses 22 through 7, and then also 
our confessional reading, which is Lord's Day 35. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the, and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elizaphan, the sons of Uzael, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So far from Leviticus, now let's also turn to our confessional reading, which is from Lord's Day 35. Lord's Day 35, where we discuss what we confess by the second commandment, which is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. And then it continues. So Lord's Day 35, what does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as, as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is an interview with Oprah Winfrey where she discusses her experiences going to a church. So she went to this church and the pastor was preaching about God's greatness, his power, his, his sovereignty. And then she heard the phrase from Exodus 20 verse 5, those 10 words of, of God's law, 
where God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. And apparently she was listening and was very much intent and kind of enraptured by what the pastor was saying until she heard those words, God is a jealous God. To her it seemed like a pretty petty emotion for a God who was so mighty and so, so powerful. Now maybe some of you, maybe especially those who are, who are new to the church, and maybe some of us have had similar thoughts. Where we wonder where God says, I am a jealous God, and we think to ourselves, what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is jealous? Because typically when we think of jealousy, we think of something that is very negative, a negative emotion. We think of what their dictionary defines jealousy, where it says it's a feeling of resentment because of someone's successes. It's a feeling of rivalry, of competition, feeling of envy. You can think of, for example, the rivalry and the envy between Leah and Rachel. So Rachel, it says, was jealous. This is what we read in Genesis 30, verse 1, that Rachel was jealous of Leah. Why? She was envious of the affection that Leah received from Jacob because of Leah's childbearing. So is God jealous of God in, in that way? And yet jealousy is not always a negative thing. Sometimes it's actually a very positive thing. The dictionary also describes jealousy as, as being vigilant in maintaining or safeguarding something. They put it this way, it's a, it's a zealous concern for what is rightfully yours. We could think of, ex, of an example if someone, if a husband or a wife was unfaithful to their vows, jealousy is not a petty feeling in response to that. It's not some sort of base feeling, but it's actually a righteous feeling. The person who has broken the marriage vows, they've com they committed themselves to you. They have no right going off with another person. And so jealousy, in that sense, it's a zealous concern for something that is, that is rightfully yours. For protecting that relationship. So those are different definitions of jealousy. And when we read the Bible, we see that jealousy is often used in reference to, in, sorry, in the context of worship. God makes a covenant with his people. He makes a relationship with them. And then in that relationship, he calls them to serve them in a specific way. And he's jealous for that relationship that he has. You hear that sort of refrain, so Moses, he talks to the people in Deuteronomy 4, he's telling them to avoid idolatry, and he says, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And he warns them again in Deuteronomy 6, he says, the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Don't go after idols, because God is jealous. He's jealous for his worship. But God is not only jealous for who um, we worship, but also how we worship. And this is something that we see in, in the passage that we read together from Leviticus. There's this context of worship where God's people are praising his name. The priests offer these sacrifices. And then Nadab and Abihu, they go in and they offer profane fire, unauthorized worship. And God's holiness consumes them. God is jealous for the holiness of his worship. And that brings us to our theme this, this afternoon. God, our God is jealous for the holiness of his worship. And to flesh that out, we'll see three things. Firstly, the, the holy worship displayed. 
And then holy worship profaned. And finally, holy worship maintained. So displayed, profaned, and maintained. So holy worship displayed. Now maybe you've had it at the beginning of the year. You get your Bible reading plan and you start off reading from Genesis. And you start working your way through. You go through all these, these wonderful stories in Genesis. And you work your way through Exodus. And then suddenly maybe your momentum slows down as you hit these laws. And then you get to Leviticus. Where it almost seems like somewhat of an interruption. You have all these stories and then you get this, this book which is filled with laws. All kinds of laws. Laws that often seem very foreign to us. And maybe sometimes we've thought that it, where does it all fit in the, in the flow of the Bible? Is it even relevant? But nothing can be further from the truth. So if you think of the kind of grand story of, of Israel's history. So Israel enters Egypt. They, they prosper for a time, and then they enter into this slavery and bondage. And they experience that for 400 years, but then God, and He remembers His covenant, and He miraculously delivers them in the Exodus. And He does so with these great signs and, and powerful wonders. And one of the reasons that God gives for delivering His people out of Exodus, He says it's to worship. It's for worship. So God says to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me, that they may worship me. We read that in Exodus 8 verse 1. And then as you read through Exodus, Israel builds this, this tabernacle building so God can dwell with his people. And the glory of the Lord fills it. But then at the end of Exodus, it kind of leaves us sort of feeling underwhelmed. Because God's own representatives can't even enter into this tabernacle because of the glory of God. And so if God brought Israel out of Egypt for a purpose so that they might worship God and serve God, that purpose seems to be un unrealized. The goal of worship doesn't seem to be fully fulfilled. We read that in Exodus 40 verse 34 to 35. It says then that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then it says, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was meant to be a dwelling place for God so that God could be with his people. But then we end in, the, in Exodus where not even Moses, the, the intercessor of the people, couldn't even go before God. He wasn't able to approach. And so why, why is that? Well, it's because of the character of God, because He is holy. God is holy in His being. He's holy in, in morality and in His character. He's pure. He's good. He's righteous. He's, he's faithful. He's truthful. Holiness, you could say, is who God is. And so that means that the holiness of God means that nothing that is unholy, that is uncommon, that is not like his character can dwell with him, can be in his presence. You see, God's holiness is a wonderful thing, but it's also a very deadly thing. Kids, you can think of it like the sun. The sun is pure brightness, it's power, it gives life, things are able to grow, it's a blessing to things. But if you were to travel to the sun, you'd be burned up. And it's a similar thing with God's holiness. When we, by our nature, get too close to His holiness in our sinfulness, we are consumed. 
So then the question becomes, how can an unholy people, a people post-fall, post-Genesis 3, how can that people dwell with the holy God? How can they worship that God? And that is where Leviticus fits into the whole storyline of the Bible. Leviticus is all about worship. How can an unholy people worship a holy God? So in chapters 1 to 10, God outlines how the people were to worship him. He gives them all these sacrifices that they can use so that they can approach him. And then we read in chapters 11 through 27 where God teaches his people how to live. He tells them how to live so that they might be able to worship him. So prior to our text, he gives all these sacrifices. You have the sin offering, the guilt offering, and you have the grain offering. The burnt offering, the priest offering. So all these offerings. And so he provides them for a a means to be able to express their thankfulness to him. But also God through these sacrifices provides a means so that the sinfulness of his people can be covered. And so that they can dwell in his presence. They can be with him. And so through this system, God enables his people to be able to worship him. To be able to dwell with him. And then what we read is that he also provides priests, people who can be there, a sort of go-between between Israel and God. So Aaron and the sons, they were priests to God. And, and when the priest obeyed God's law faithfully, it led to blessing for all of Israel. And we see that in Leviticus 9, where Israel's sins can be atoned for. God can be with his people. And Israel can actually even behold the very glory of God. So Aaron and his sons, they're consecrated. They're, they're ordained, if you will. And God commands them to make a burnt offering, a sin offering, and a peace offering. And they appear before Israel. I mean, in the, so that God may appear before Israel. And what you read through Leviticus 9 is that Aaron does according to all that God commands. It's a, a refrain that keeps coming through the, in chapters 8 and 9. So in chapters 8, you read it in verse 5 and verse Uh, 13, 21, 29, 36, all of it says, and they did as the Lord commanded them. So God outlines the way to worship, and Moses and Aaron obey. We see that again in our text. In in verses 8 and 10, it says that Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering as the Lord commanded Moses. And then also verse 16 And he presented the burnt offerings and offered it according to the rule. So they do everything as God commands them. And then if you look, what happens? We see that the congregation is able to dwell in the presence of God. It says there, And Moses and Aaron went up, went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The Shekinah glory of God, God in all his holiness, dwells in front of the people and they're able to experience that. And there is loud shouts of joy, there's praise as his people bask in his presence. And this is key to Israel's fellowship with God. When they worshipped him according to his word, there is blessing. It's a congregation. Faithful worship, worship that is done according to to God's will and according to God's way, it leads to rich blessing for us. When we we are diligent to worship God according to his revealed will, we, we need not fear the jealousy of God, the burning jealousy. 
Like Israel, when we worship God rightly, we're able to behold His glory. We're able to be transformed by His holiness and and nurtured in our relationship with God by being in His presence. See, God dwells in our midst. And what will happen when we worship God rightly, people will join us. They will join us to worship. Because as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, they will see that that the worship of God and declare that God is really among us. And that is supremely so for us because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God in the flesh. And when he is faithfully proclaimed, when, to use the words of Galatians, when Christ is publicly crucified before us through the preaching of God's word, God shines into our hearts the glory of his nature. To use the words of, of Paul in 2 Corinthians We're able with unveiled faces to behold the glory of of God so that we are transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. So when people walk into Southern River, they should behold Christ. They should see faithful worship, worship that transforms. A worship which fills us with joy and with praise as we bask in God's presence You see that with his people. They're there and they're enjoying the glory of God. It leads to blessing for them. They can dwell with God and they're able to see God in all his glory. And that is worship that is acceptable in his sight. But then what happens, what happens when Israel's worship, sorry, what happens when Israel worships God in a way other than God is commanded in his word, as the catechism says? What happens when we worship God our way? We see that there's this amazing display of God's glory. But then this day of awe and celebration, it quickly turns into a day of mourning. Sometime after Aaron had had made the sacrifices, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, they they take their censers, which is kind of like a, a, a bronze bowl with fire in it. And it says that they offered unauthorized fire before God, before the Lord. Now it's unclear exactly what they did. But what we're told, we're told why, they, why it was wrong. See, the key congregation is that Nadab and Abihu, they disobeyed the express word of God. We see that in verse 1. So it says there, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So unauthorized means that it doesn't adhere to a, a standard. It doesn't match a law. So what they'd done, they they brought worship before God that didn't match a standard that he'd outlined in his word. And so their actions were an affront to God, an affront to God's holiness. God had outlined a way to worship him, and they completely reject that and go their own way. And it's easy for us to kind of condemn them. It's interesting, we're not really told why they did it. Maybe they expressly, they knew that they weren't allowed to and did it anyway. Or maybe they had the best intentions in mind. But yet, they worshipped God in a way that he had not commanded. And the result of it was that God in his holiness consumed them. The same fire that came down and consumed the offering was a fire that came forward and, and destroyed them. Their self-willed worship cost them their lives. And you know what, congregation, this is actually very typical 
You see, God often opens the way for his people to have fellowship with him. He establishes the parameters of worship, you could say, and then his people forsake those commands. And it costs them. It's destructive. You see, it's interesting that our text happens right after God has completely outlined everything for them. He's giving them priests so that they can worship him rightly. But then they neglect it. And if you think of Israel's history, you think of Genesis 1. God creates this beautiful world. He creates this garden so that his people can serve him. So his people can worship him. He sets the parameters. He sets the context. And then his people reject him. It's the very next thing we read. Or think of when God gives the law in Exodus. God gives the law. He gives them what he, uh, he sets forth, his commands in the covenant. And Israel responds with unfaithfulness. Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees them worshipping this false god, a golden calf, which we sang of. They profane the holiness of God by neglecting his word, by worshipping their own way. Could you imagine, brothers and sisters, the, what, that, what that effect would have been on the Israelites? They just witnessed God's glory. They saw holy fire come down and consume the offering to, to show that God was pleased with it. And then now there was two body bags that were being carried out of the tabernacle. What impression would have that left on the Israelites? Well, surely it was this congregation that God cares deeply about his worship. He's jealous for his worship. He has a zealous concern for what is rightfully his. And when we neglect it in his consuming punishment, he destroys, it destroys his people. You see, when they worshipped him rightly, there was blessing. There was, there was his presence. They were living in relationship with him. With him. And this is what we confess in the Catechism, where it says, We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor worship Him in any other manner than He has commanded in His Word. God cares about His worship so much so that He expresses it in commands so that we might have fellowship with Him. God cares about our worship. He doesn't just care about who we worship, He cares about how we worship. He's jealous for it. And you see, there's a real danger for us of trying to shape worship after our own desires and, a, and our own cares. You know, it could be whether on the one side we're pushing all kinds of changes that we think would be good for the church, or maybe on the other side we're just holding on with a firm grasp to those well-worn practices that we know. We all face the danger. It's easy to come to church to think about what, what can we get out of it? What, what, how, does, how does the worship impact me? What does it give me? And sometimes you can hear that in the way we talk. You know, people might change church and they might say, well, I just wasn't really feeling it at that church. It just wasn't really vibing with me. Or maybe they'll say, you know, that church didn't quite match my vision, the vision that I have of a church. And so often the focus becomes on us. The focus becomes on how, how can, what can we bring to worship? And that's not to say that we're not allowed to ask ourselves tough questions about how can our worship be, be more God-honoring? How can it be more faithful to Scripture? Those are, those are really good questions for us to wrestle with. But we must remember that worship is God's prerogative. He sets the context. He sets the parameters. It's His. It's about His honor. It's about His glory. Because it's deadly for us to worship God in our own way. 
And we see that when, when churches neglect God's standards, when they start to minimize the preaching of his word, the word which God says where he works through. He says there in the catechism, we are not to be taught by means of dumb images, but the, by the living preaching of his word. And what you see is when churches neglect that, it goes downhill for them. I think of, for example, the, the United Church in Canada. That was one of the churches, especially in the, in the 1900s. And what happened is that church became more liberal over time. They used to be the conscious of the nation. They used to uphold the morality of the people, you could say. But what happened is slowly the doctrines of grace, the preeminence of Christ, and the authority of, his, of God's word was undermined slowly but surely. And then what it became, it became, well, it was a doctrine of social justice. You go out there, you support uh, the, the homosexualities, the transgender people. They were on the forefront of all those things. Even had it that they had this program for the, uh, for, for the Sunday schools, which had the express intent of undermining people's belief in the Bible. And what happened? Well, that church will probably be the first church to die out. The first church in history to die out completely. God does not bless it. Bless his worship when we try to worship him in our way. We may have the right intentions for change, but if we're undermining something that God deems important and vital, then we will not be blessed. Therefore, as the writers to the Hebrews says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God will prove his holiness. His holiness will be maintained, and that is what we'll see in our final point. So just imagine for a moment the, the silence and the fear that would have overcome God's people. Two of their ordained priests were dead. Aaron was, was probably in a state of shock. What had happened? He went from going into the tabernacle, beholding God's glory, to suddenly there were his dead sons. And verse 3 answers the question. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. The NIV translates it this way. It says, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. You see, the priests were meant to obtain the holiness of God, will maintain the holiness of God, and to show God's holiness by serving God obediently, by serving God in the way that he had outlined. But then what happened is Nadab and Abihu, the priests of God, they profaned the holiness of God. They didn't glorify him. They, they instead served him in their own way. They dishonored God. And so if they weren't going to uphold God's holy name, if they weren't going to glorify God, then God would do it. God consumes them. God would be sanctified even if they didn't do it. And it's interesting. It's the same reason why Moses wasn't able to enter into the land of promise. We read in Numbers 20 verse 12 where God tells Moses that he wasn't allowed to enter in the promised land because he did not sanctify God in the eyes of the people. He did not show God to be holy. Instead, he was punished. And it's the same way with Nadab and Abihu. They profaned the holiness of God, and so God punished them. And it's that 
honor and the holiness of God that, that kind of helps us to understand what happens next in the passage. So Moses gives these commands to Aaron that seem almost very severe to us. Moses commands them to, he gets the uncle, uh, the sons of the uncle to, to go and carry the bodies out of the camp. That's because no person who had received the holy anointing oil were, were to touch a dead body. And so therefore Aaron's sons weren't allowed to go to their deceased brothers and, 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 uh, and carry them out and bury them. And not only that, they, weren't, they were prohibited in, from mourning. They couldn't let their hair be unkept. They couldn't tear their clothes. And that was a typical way of showing mourning in, in the Old Testament. It was like putting on your black suit and going to a funeral. There were certain things that you wore that expressed deep sorrow. But they weren't allowed to do that. And to us, it sounds very harsh. First, they're not allowed to go and see their deceased brothers. And now they weren't even allowed to mourn over them. But as harsh as that sounds, it was to maintain the holiness and the glory of God before the people. Because if they mourned the death of, of Nadab and Abihu, it was like challenging God's judgment. It was disputing His holiness. And to do so, as, as Moses says, it would result not only in, in their death, but also the wrath of God to come against the whole congregation. For God to dwell among his people, his people had to serve him in the way that he commanded. That was the only way their worship would be acceptable. Congregation, even when we endeavor to worship God according to his word, our worship often falls so far short. You know, have you ever done it that you hear God's law read and maybe you tell yourself, I'm going to listen all the way through. And what happens, you listen to the, the first three commandments and then you kind of zone off. And then suddenly you hear, you shall not commit adultery and then you, you're right back in it again. Or has it, has it happened that you're singing God's praise, you're singing songs and your mind is completely thinking about something different. Or, and you're busying yourself with something else as His word is proclaimed. Well, have you ever asked God to, to forgive you for those moments? Have you ever seen that as worshiping God falsely? As not upholding the holiness of God? You know, it's so easy for us to, to worship God externally and then to be so distant from God internally. Where we're praising Him, but in our hearts we're doing something completely different. So then the question is, how can the holiness of God be maintained when our worship is often so unholy and so often falls short? Well, brothers and sisters, it's through, it's through Christ. Christ worshiped God in spirit and in truth. We read in John 4. He tells his disciples, you must worship in spirit and in truth. And that is the way that our Savior worshiped God. There was never a disconnect between what he said externally and what was happening internally in his heart. He honored God. He worshiped God the same way that he loved God. With all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. And if he even called out the Pharisees for, for doing something externally which didn't, that didn't match, he says, you know, you guys clean the outside of a jar, but inside you guys are dirty. You're not worshiping God the way he desires. You see, Jesus, he worshiped God authentically. He was never motivated to worship God according to his own desires and according to what he saw fit. No, he was the perfect priest who displayed the holiness of God in all his life. And what is more, he was the perfect sacrifice 
The perfect sacrifice who covers our wrong and our unfaithful worship. The times when we profane God by worshiping God in a way that he's not commanded. Through his death, the holiness of God is maintained while we and unholy people are able to worship and praise him. You see, brothers and sisters, we want authentic worship. We want to worship God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. We desire to worship him in spirit and truth. And so often, our worship is, is simply a show of hands sometimes. No matter, it's not really a matter of the heart. And so, and so instead of asking God to change our hearts, what can happen is instead we can try to change things in our worship service because we say that's where the problem is. And yet it's only through the Spirit of Christ that we can worship God rightly, where we can worship God authentically, where we can worship Him with all our hearts, like our Savior did. And so, brothers and sisters, know that God, in the Spirit of Christ, will equip you. He will equip you in your worship so that you might praise God rightly, so that you may be able to experience His glory as you behold it in the face of Jesus Christ where you will be able to experience the blessing of his holiness and so be filled, filled with a zeal for God's worship that you may worship him rightly. Amen. Let us now sing in response a Psalm 89, verses 6 and 7.
Let's now come before God in prayer. Dear Holy God and Heavenly Father, at all times the angels are around your throne and they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who, who was and is and is to come. Well, the saints in heaven, they cast their, their crowns before your throne, your throne and, and praise you. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Father, that's perfect worship. They're full of zeal for your holiness. They're untainted by any sort of selfishness or pride. They are in awe of your awesome holiness as they behold your glory. Father, that's the worship that we want. We want to praise you with our whole heart, with our whole soul, and our whole mind. And yet we, con- we, we confess that so often we make it all about us. We focus on what we get out of it. We, we worship you and our motivations is what we, should th- we think should happen and what we feel is God-honoring rather than by understanding your jealous zeal for your holiness. We think it's about, experiencing, it's about experiencing you, Lord, praising you, being transformed by the glory of Christ's presence among us. That's what worship is all about. And so forgive us for our failings. Forgive us for our unauthorized worship. For when worship became man-centered. Lord, forgive us for the thing we made it. For Lord, the heart of worship is not us, it's you. Fill us with your spirit so that our hearts and our mouths would proclaim your your praise from now on and forevermore. And Father, we pray for all those who help us to worship you Sunday by Sunday. We thank you for our organists and pianists who lead us in praise. Thank you for the seriousness and thoughtfulness that they give to the role. Continue to bless them as they give melody to our voices as we bless your name. We thank you for the sound technicians. We thank you for their work. We thank you for those who who put together the liturgy or who put material in our pigeonholes and distribute it. We thank you for those who work on the live stream. We thank you for the caretakers of the church who ready the building each Sunday so that we may worship you. We thank you for those in creche who take care of, of, of the lambs of the flock so that moms and dads may be able to worship you and to take part in worship. Father, there's so much that comes into worship and we, we thank you for all those who are involved. And Father, we also think of our, of our pastor, Reverend Poppy, and his family. Lord, we praise you for their service in the congregation. We thank you for, the, for his faithful preaching and the love and care that they have for your church. And so Lord, we ask them that you would, you would bless them as they enjoy some holidays. Lord, watch over Reverend Poppy, Amanda, and Matthew, and Timothy as they fly to Canada tomorrow. Bless their, their flights. May it all go well. And Lord, may you give them a wonderful time to reconnect with colleagues, with friends, and with family. May it be a time of refreshment and joy for them. Father, also be with, uh, with the rest of the family at home. Care for them as well. Lord, be a father to them. And Lord, we also pray that you would watch over us. Please bless our families. Please bless the friendships that we have in the congregation. Bless the relationships that we have at work and in our communities. Lord, be with those who who are suffering. We think of Sandra Dingle. We thank you that she is, uh, that you have been with her with her operation and that she can be home. But Lord, it means that she's apart from worship, that she's unable to, to be here in our midst. 
And Lord, she's experienced some setbacks, and so we pray that you provide for her, that you would give her care and provision. And Father, we also think of those who are mourning. Lord, you call us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And we think of Chris and Tamala, think especially of our sister Tamala, as she mourns the passing of her Oma. Lord, please be with her. Watch over her. Lord, surround her with your love and faithfulness. And may we as, as congregation and as family of Christ uh, share love and share your kindness to her. Father, please bless the rest of this Sunday. We thank you that we're able to gather together to join in the voices of not only all creation, but also all those voices that are praising you around the world as in all the different time zones. And Lord, we pray that our worship this afternoon may have been pleasing in your sight. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your gifts before the Lord, which is for the work of mission work in Papua New Guinea. And as you do so, remember the words of uh, Philippians 1 verse 3, where Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And one of the ways, the beautiful ways in which we're able to be a partner in the, in the gospel is by giving uh, for, for mission and other, other means like this. And after we give of our offerings, we'll sing from hymn five and sing of the holiness of God.
as you depart from, from this worship service, go with the blessing of God, the, Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.